Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. We are taking a little break from psychological thrillers this week, and instead we will be talking about a limited animated series from 2014 called Over the Garden Wall. And with me virtually is my good friend, Christina. Hello! This show is a dark fantasy, and although it is kids-friendly, some episodes can be a little terrifying and have very mature themes. This is actually our first podcast about an animation and our first on a TV show, because let's be honest, TV shows can move us just as much as movies. Over 10 episodes, each one under about 15 minutes, we follow the fairy tale adventures of Rert, voiced by Elijah Wood, and his brother Greg, voiced by Colin Dean, who accidentally cross over the garden wall into a magical realm of fairies, witches, talking birds, and most importantly, the creepy woodsman, voiced by Christopher Lloyd, and a looming creature who follows along him. This all happens while Wirt and uh, Greg learn lessons and morals along the way. So, Christina, what do we think of Over the Garden Wall? I love Over the Garden Wall so much. So one of my roommates introduced it to me last year because she was like, oh my god, you have to watch Over the Garden Wall. It's like the best television show of all time. Um, And then I watched it and I was like, you are correct. This is fantastic. And then I watched it like again a few months ago like basically back to back with my girlfriend and with a different friend because I was like everybody needs to see this show um and I I really love it a lot yeah I've never seen something like this before I thought it was really unique and I think it probably would have gone over my head if I had watched it when I was actually a kid so seeing an animated show that is kind of for adults was really refreshing oh yeah definitely like if I had seen this, because it came out in 2014, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, if I had watched this when I was 14, like, I definitely would have enjoyed it, but I don't think I would have appreciated it as much as, like, watching it when I am 20. Um, but also, like, if I had seen this when I was a child, I would have been terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the animation is very unique, and there's some, like, really out-there characters, and the faces are really frightening, like, especially the girl that we don't think is a monster in, in one episode, and she's actually the monster, and she, like, screams, and it's really freaky. Lana, that, the episode with Lana is the scariest one for me. Like, the beast is scary, and, like, the yes. pumpkin dudes are kind of scary, but, like, Lana terrifies me. Yes. Oh my god. And I like that it actually took place on Halloween, so I thought this was, like, a very good time to do something since Halloween just happened yeah no I know that for a lot of people like over the garden wall is like essential like fall viewing um and I've never actually watched it in time with like Halloween like I've never watched it as a Halloween viewing but I honestly feel like it's a perfect like Halloween like fall transitioning to winter show because it's got like the creepier aspects you're still sort of hanging on to Halloween and it's got like a lot of fall vibes at the beginning but then the final episode it's snowing and so it kind of feels like a good transition into like November and like more winter times. Yes I totally agree and one of the main things that I really liked about it and I learned this in one of my English classes last year we were learning about children's novels and children's stories and how really children's stories um, back in the 
the 1500s and the 1600s were very dark and all of them had some dark moral like you know if you do this you're gonna get hit by this carriage or you're gonna you know if you you do this you're gonna get whipped by your parents or you know a monster's gonna eat your toes and they were very uh dark and they were called Bildungsromans and this really reminded me of the the German word Bildungsroman whereas like more animated shows that we are more um we know more of is the Disney kind where, you know, he took these beautiful fairy tales that had very dark aspects like The Little Mermaid and Cinderella and he made them happy with a happy ending. But a lot of the times, like in The Little Mermaid, she dies in the original Grimm's fairy tale. So it was nice to see um, more mythical and more Bildungsroman kind of animated show. Yeah, no, definitely. I found like yeah, all of the, like, there's so many characters that you meet, and all of their stories are so interesting and so well-developed, and a lot of them are, like, pretty dark, um, and especially, like, the overarching, like, cohesive plotline of the show with Word and Greg um, and the Beast is, like, it's dark, like, it's dark stuff, and it deals with a lot of, like, heavy material, although I do, I, I do like, mm-hmm. I will never get over, um, this is, like, slight spoilers but I mean come on it's a Cartoon Network show like obviously things are going to turn out okay in the end but like one of my favorite bits is the very last episode when the like the like playoff music is happening and the narrator's like and then everything turned out perfect and uh, everybody was happy uh, forever after and it just like and he just like wraps it up like so quickly and I find that so funny yes yeah, because it kind of spoofs the the fairy tale tropes that Disney is known for and kind of follows the original fairy tale stories, even though I like that none of the fairy tale characters were known fairy tale characters. They were all new. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, there are some that... I know that, like, I, I've done some research on this show, and I know that, like, some of the animation styles specifically were pulled from like other animated media but all of the characters them and like some of the characters are like spoofs of like a certain type of character but the characters themselves are all really unique especially the main characters which I think is very cool yeah and none of them are stereotypical as well and they're all very like they just jump off the page and that's what I really like like even that Lana girl Uh, We mentioned at the beginning, you know, she seems like this meek girl who's under the impression that she has to stay with this woman and look after her when really she's the evil character. Yeah. Um, So who was your, I guess we should talk about Wirt and um, Greg first. Who, Who was your... Who did you like better? Oh, man. They're very different. Yeah, no, it's hard because I love them both a lot um as characters and as like people like I love them both with all my heart um but I know that like I want to say Greg only because Greg is by far the most quotable character from this show like my roommates and I quote Greg like every other day at least (laughs) oh my god every time I go home I I actually liked word better oh I just, I liked uh, his character development and his dynamics, but I liked Greg as, like, in a cutesy, adorable way. 
No, Wirt's character arc is very good. Like, by the end of it, like, the, the sort of, like, growth and realization he goes through is really interesting. And also, I remember my, my roommate bringing this up um, because she has, like, step-siblings uh, as well as biological siblings. Um, and I, like, one of the things that I love about this show is there are so many details that are just, like, thrown in very briefly. And if you miss them, it's, like, not the end of the world. But if you pick up on them, then it, like, adds another level of, like, understanding to the show. Um, and so there is, like, one line in the episode where they're in the tavern and Wirt is, like, asked to sing a song about his travels. Um, and he, like makes this offhand comment about, like, Greg being his brother because his mom, like, married a new guy and, like, now, and, like, Greg came with the dad and so Greg is, like, yes. a stepbrother. Um, and I, like, I think that that's really interesting that they had them be, like, stepbrothers specifically, especially when you see the the sort of dynamic they grow through where Wirt goes from, like, putting up with Greg to, like, genuinely enjoying being around Greg. Yeah, and another good point with, like, following the fairy tale trope is that usually if there are step-siblings in fairy tales, and there usually always is, they never get along or they're always competing with one another, where Wirt was really, like, a father figure for Greg, and they had a really nice, loving relationship. Yes, they had issues along the way, and there was a a big problem near the end and they have lots of conflict but they support one another and that was really nice to see yeah no definitely especially especially toward the end to see like how much they're there for each other and at the end of the day like they genuinely do care for each other yeah you really don't get that in a lot of um in a lot of media although it's funny that this came out in 2014 because it would have been like right after Frozen came out, which, of course, was so big for its theme of, like, sister love as opposed to yes. romantic love. Yeah, and also, did you think it was funny, speaking of Frozen, that, like, the last episode is called Into the Unknown, and <laughs> that's a Frozen song. Yes! <laughs> yeah, no, I, like, I thought that was so funny, because when I watched it last year, like, Frozen 2 hadn't come out yet, um, but now I think it's funny, <laughs> and I think about it every time. <laughs> So basically, for people who haven't watched this show, um, Wirt and Greg, we actually find out later, it's not in chronological order. We don't know at the very beginning why they got lost and why they're in the forest. We only find out, I think, in the second to last episode. And we, I assumed, and I don't know if you felt this way, that they were in some like old period uh, show, like if they were um, from the 1500s or, you know, when it was like Hansel and Gretel days. And and when we see their life before stepping over the garden wall, it's like modern day, like maybe the 1990s. And when they're in their weird little outfits, it's because it's Halloween, not that that's how they're always dressed. Yeah, no, I thought that that was so clever. Yeah, I, I believe um, I looked it up and the show is supposed to be set in like the late 80s, early 90s. But yeah, no, I totally okay. like, I thought that that was so funny because their costumes and like the designs of all the characters that they meet like over the garden wall are all like so unique and so reminiscent of like, yeah, like the sort of old timey, like traditional fairy tale, like Hansel and Gretel style. That then when you find out that they're just in Halloween costumes and they're actually like normal kids who live in the 80s, you're like, oh, what? <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, because there's like, they see a king in a castle and they go to these little cottages and there's like a wood burning stove and it's very much like way before, you know, you'd think of technology or cars or anything. And then they really live in a time of cars and technology and and he writes, uh, Wirt writes his, the girl he likes a, um, he, he has a Walkman and he writes her a tape, a musical a tape, tape, and it's like very modern. A mixtape, yes, I was losing the word, that's how young I am, I don't even know. Yeah, mixtape, I mean, it, it was so cool, you know right away with the mixtape, you know kind of what era it's in. No, it's, and that is also really sweet, I will say, I... Wirt's crush on Sarah and like Wirt and Sarah I think are so adorable. I know and it's so relatable because you know before he goes over the garden wall we see him you know trying to get this girl Sarah and he really really likes her and Sarah obviously likes him too but he's intimidated by this other guy who I assumed and I love this that there weren't any stereotypes I assumed that this other guy who was kind of like in the love triangle was going to be this like big jock and he was going to be super handsome and he ends up being even more dorky than Wirt and he's like super like pencil nose kind of character and I just thought that was so interesting that this is who he's intimidated by I love Jason Thunderburger the reveal when he comes out and he's like hi Sarah ready to go is so good (laughs) yeah because you you don't expect someone like that to appear yeah and word is like Jason Thunderburger has everything I don't have and it's like what yeah (laughs) literally what (laughs) exactly I mean he is wearing a cone on his head not the most like great luck (laughs) I also love that he like puts together this Halloween costume and like we get explanation as to like why Greg is wearing the teapot on his head is because he's supposed to be an elephant it's supposed to be his like trunk but we get no explanation as to what Wirt's costume is supposed to be with his like cape and cone like is he a gnome (laughs) um who was your favorite so like what I liked about this show was that after each 15 minutes, we don't really follow them chronologically. It's like a new adventure they're on, which is kind of like a short, you know, bedtime story for children. And which one was, like, I have a couple, but which ones were your favorite, like, little storyline before we get to the big climactic ending? Ooh, like, my favorite storylines or my favorite, like, characters? Like, characters or, like, little segments, like, you know, when we meet the king or we meet the school teacher, things like that where it was, like, you never really see them again. Oh, man, that's really hard. I, hmm, I really, really like the episode, I think it's, like, episode two, um, with the pumpkins, because, with, like, the talking pumpkins, because I think that the character design is, like, very, like, it's, like, uh, it's not scary, it's just, like, a little bit unsettling, um, and it's, and it's really funny, like, the bit there when, like, they're intimidated by these, like, this giant, like, pumpkin king, and he's like, I sentence you to few hours manual yes. labor, like, it's so funny, <laughs> This show is really funny, and so I think my other, It is like, really funny. My other favorite, um, I don't know if this counts as, like, favorite, like, little characters, but in terms of, like, my favorite, like, sort of spin-off storyline is when Greg has the, like, the dream about going up into the clouds and, like, stopping, like, the old, the, the old north wind, um, and how, like, 
it's very much like a direct parody of the scene at the beginning of The Wizard of Oz where they all like greet Dorothy. Um, I think that bit is so good. Oh, good parallel, yeah. I I love that bit. I love just how each character was their own self and they were so whimsical. And I think my favorite one was when Greg and Wirt go to this castle and like again like it starts off with them already in the castle so there's no lead up as to how they got to the castle or whatever and they meet this king who is going crazy because he says there's a ghost in his castle and he sees her all the time and he goes with Greg to find the ghost and they're walking around this huge castle with a greenhouse and everything and Greg's holding his little frog and um then the whole issue is that it's actually not a ghost. He's actually been living with this woman the whole time, and she thought the king was a ghost. And I just thought that was so funny how they reunited two lonely people together. I love, like, I love every episode. It's so hard for me to, like, pick favorite bits because I love, like, every bit. Like, I love that bit so much. <laughs> I also, that reminded me, I think my favorite character, like, aside from Greg and Wirt, is probably Fred the horse. I think he's so funny. <laughs> and I also, yeah, I also like when they actually reunite that poor, lonely school teacher with her love. And it's so sweet. They're like matchmakers. And the little cats and animals that are going to school, that was such a cute idea. I'd never thought of it. It was kind of like Beatrix Potter. Yeah. And they all and they're learning like the their ABCs. It's so cute and with the song, it's so good. Um at the beginning, I have a quick question. Um what do you think was so when they first get to the um they see Christopher Lloyd's character, the um the woodsman, and you know when they first meet him, do you know what that monster was that was like following him? at first and then like the monster dies i was a bit confused at that point yeah okay so this is like yeah no i've been i've i think about that sometimes um that bit because that's another one of the things i love about the show is there's some stuff that's just like not explained and you're like okay this is the world i guess um but so yeah yeah yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's like meant to trick you into like, oh, hey, look, we killed the beast. And then Woodman's like, that's not the beast. Um, but yeah, so basically, like, when they yes. when they take down, like, the big scary, like, wolf dog thing, I don't know if you remember this, but what ends up happening is, like, mm-hmm. Wirt, like, hits it over... And he, like, gets cut up, <laughs> like, horribly. No, Wirt, like, hits it over the head really hard, and then it coughs up this, like, little black sludge thing, and then it turns yeah. into a regular dog. Oh, right. Right. Oh, my God. That was... It was so much to take in at once, yeah. so I didn't see it the and first so time like, around. Yeah, no, it's, like, you really have to, like, pay attention to it because, like, you're so focused on, like, the the mill being totally destroyed that you don't really, like, absorb what happens to the dog. I only know this because I've seen this, like, four times. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. so, like, he, like, hits the dog over the head really hard, and the dog, like, goes flying, um, and then it, like, coughs up this, like, little black, like, sludge creature, um... And then it's just, like, a normal dog, so presumably that was just, like, the woodsman's dog that was, I guess, like, or just, like, a random dog that was, like, wandering around the woods and didn't really matter. Um, But the black, like, little sludge creature that it coughs up is, I don't know if you remember, 
um, when Wirt and Greg first find like the little cabin with Lana and Tim Curry, old lady in it. Um, but they like hide in this barrel of black turtles and those are like it was like one of those like black turtles that the dog coughs up in the first episode. Oh, I see. Oh, that's cool how they it connects. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah, so the it's the same turtles that um like Tim Curry Witch like ends up like well they hide in the barrel like to hide from Tim Curry Witch. And I think that that's really interesting because they show like I don't remember her name. I'm I'm just going to keep calling her Tim Curry Witch. They show like Tim Curry Witch like eating these turtles and I don't know if you're supposed to ponder the implications of like this old lady eating these turtles that like turned a regular dog into a horrible monster or not, but I thought about it. No, that's a really good. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Wow. You really were I think I need to rewatch this more than once. Oh, this show warrants so many rewatches. And also, it, like, never gets old. Like, it does not matter how many times you watch it. It's still good. It's still enjoyable. Even when you know, like, the big reveals and stuff. I was worried that, like, once you knew how it ended, it wouldn't be as good. But it's still so good because there's so much to just, like, absorb. Yes. And all the characters, like, you really, especially for Wirt, you really want him to succeed. And you want them to go back home and find where they are but you also kind of want them to stay on this adventure and you don't really you like I was very curious as to where home was before we find out but at the same time I wanted them to stay on this adventure and like when they go to the tavern and they meet all these people and I um when I was in grade four I read this book um and it's actually a series of books and I continued reading it throughout elementary school but it was called The Wide Awake Princess and I really liked it because it kind of did the thing that Shrek kind of did, where it like took all these known fairy tale characters that are beloved and you love them. And then they kind of do a twist on it. So like they do a twist on Hansel and Gretel, they do a twist on Sleeping, and Be- uh, Sleeping Beauty, they do a twist on Rapunzel. And I just love that and I always wished they had made it into a Disney movie, uh, The Wide Awake Princess, because it was so interesting. And Over the Garden Wall kind of reminded me of that yeah no like they're they're definitely like obviously they face a lot of like scary stuff in this world um and there's a lot of like very weird things that go on there but also there's a lot of like just really nice things in this world where you know part of you kind of wants them to just stay and be with with Beatrice and just hang out go on the frog riverboat and (laughs) Yes, but there's also, like, some existential crises with, um, with Wirt. Like, he has existential crises, and that's why it's very mature, because, you know, it's at this very, um, time in his life, and that's why he's, like, the perfect Bildungsroman character, because this is his kind of, like, coming-of-age journey, and he just kind of has all these, like, oh, no, what am I gonna do with my life, and what if I'm not good enough, and how do I get Sarah, and and, and they use, you know, the adventures he's on as, like, kind of a symbol for his real existential life crisis. Yeah. Well, and I also love, like, I mean, I know we're gonna, like, we always, like, spoil stuff when we talk about things in your podcast anyway, but spoilers, um, I really like at the end when they, obviously, <laughs> when they get home safe, um, and there's this very brief moment where you think, like, oh, I get it, this was one of those stories where, like, this was all a dream, and it was all, like, an imagined adventure in their heads to, like you know, be a metaphor for all the things that they're going through in life. 
Um, but really it was all a dream and it was just meant to symbolize like whatever. But then at the very end of the show, not only do you get these like brief moments where you see like all the characters that you met while on this adventure, like living happily and like living their lives, but also in the episode with, um, with Lana, the frog like swallows the bell that controls Lana and in the hospital like in their real world there's a bit like right before the credits where Greg is like waving his frog around and the bell is still like glowing and ringing inside of the frog and so you're like it was all real so it really did happen then and that's why I really like because I don't like in movies or kids movies where you know they wake up and it's you know just been a nice dream or a bad dream if it's a scary movie and I like that when it's kind of indecisive, when you can think like, do you think it happened? Or, you know, what is your thoughts on the ending? And you, you as the audience member can like, uh, create your own ending. And I really like when they do that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I also know that like, there have been because Over the Garden Wall is a massive fan base. Um, and there have been a lot of theories as to where like, this place Over the Garden Wall represents. Um and I know there's like a few of them. The only one I remember off the top of my head because it's the most popular one is it is like a very widely believed theory that um, the like place over the garden wall is supposed to represent like purgatory. And so at the end, like they obviously escape purgatory and like go back to the living world. Um, and all of the characters who you see like living happily ever after at the end have like made it to heaven. Oh, okay. You know, I was reading and I don't know how much you saw but I was reading a theory where one fan because there's a lot of fan base around this show that one fan's interpretation was that Greg actually died and Vert survived do you agree with that oh no that's interesting I'd have to think about that yeah yeah I mean off the top of my head like I can kind of see why yeah it's a bit like there there were theory uh, if I can remember correctly was that Wart, when he woke up in the hospital bed from basically drowning, um, was in denial, and it was like his denial was his first stage of grief, of saying goodbye to his brother, but I think I have to rewatch the ending in order to, like, really seep in that theory, because I, did, I didn't agree with it for the first watch, but maybe if I rewatch it, I will kind of think that way, now that I know this yeah, theory. I, like, can't really picture that now but I'm sure if because, I like, rewatched it with that in mind I could like probably see it yeah no and and it's funny because Wart is basically our main character because we or we are Wart because we see everything from his perspective so you know if it did happen that Greg had died um I feel like they would have made more of a big deal of Wart being like lonely and sad don't you think yeah no definitely I think that they wouldn't have because like I think that one of the it's, like, fairly obvious that one of the main overarching themes is, like, Wirt's, Wirt developing, well, Wirt always loves Greg, but, like, genuinely, like, learning to, like, take Greg seriously and, like, not just see him as this sort of, like, nuisance, but, like, this brother that he really loves and cares for and enjoys being around. So I think that it'd be kind of counterproductive to have Wirt's whole arc be, like, about learning to love and accept his brother and then kill him off. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I don't agree with that theory. Um, I just saw it and I thought, hmm, I'm going to bring this up with Christina and see what she thinks. But 
One of the things of the show that really stood out for me was that powerful kind of creepy music at the start of each episode. I really liked the, the music. The music in this show is so good. Oh my god. Okay, the music in the show is really good. I have to mention, because I didn't notice it until my like second or third watch through, um, and neither did my roommate. We noticed it at the same time, and it was her like third watch through. Um, but... So, like, during the little schoolyards uh, or the schoolhouse scene with, like, all the little animals who go to school, Greg ends up singing this song for all the animals called Potatoes and Molasses, and it's, like, really cute and really nice um, and, like, very sweet and fun. And then at the, in the, like, it's either, I don't remember anymore if this is the last episode or the second to last episode. I'm pretty confident this is the last episode. Um, but spoilers, in the episode where Greg is, like, totally ensnared by the, um, uh, Adelwood trees and you know Wirt finds Greg like basically about to die like totally ensnared by these trees that the beast has set up um what plays in the background is a slowed down version of Potatoes and Molasses but in Latin but like yeah you can like because like I think I like because you notice the melody first like you can tell like it's like the slowed down melody of Potatoes and Molasses if you like really listen to it and then the lyrics are like oh potatoes et molasses and I was like oh my god I just, yeah, I I just found the music so powerful. Like, it felt like I was opening, you know, a fairy tale book or a children's book. And, and it really was, I don't know, it really stayed with me. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I adore the music. I, I wish, I know that um at, like, Comic-Con or something of that variety, when the show first came out, they, like, sold, like, a really limited number of, um like, vinyls of the soundtrack which don't exist anymore, but I was like, oh my god, I would have loved to have that. I'm surprised because it got a very high rating on Rotten Tomato, like 92%, that it's not really talked about that much and shown on TV. Like, I know you said it was on the Cartoon Network, but I didn't watch that network growing up. I watched usually YTV or Family Disney Channel, and so I'm just curious as to why not many people at least not many people I knew before you told me about the show. I I had never heard of it before. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those interesting shows. And, like, I hate to, like, compare this show to Clone High. But, like, I think it's like Clone High in the sense that it has, like, a really, really, like, big, dedicated fan base. But if you aren't a member of that fan base, you have no idea it exists. Like, it's not, like, something like, I don't know, like, what's a good example? Like, um... Like, Kim Possible. Like, I didn't watch Kim Possible growing up, but I always knew that it existed because it was always sort of in my, like, cultural periphery. But, like, I had no idea Over the Garden Wall existed until my roommate showed it to me, and now I'm part of this, like, actually massive fan, like, fan base that loves Over the Garden Wall. Um, With the monster, I assumed that the beast, the monster, is a theme for the devil. Like, he's a symbol of the devil and the afterlife. And, you know, like, the lantern um that the woodsman has to carry in order to keep the beast alive um do you think the what's in the lantern is like the beast's soul and like because when uh where it opens the lantern you know the beast like dies yeah definitely well that's like oh man no i love mm, i love the ending i love the beast um and yeah no i definitely think that what we were supposed to gather from the ending 
is that, you know, the beast has convinced uh, the woodsman this whole time that, you know, to keep the flame, to keep the lantern lit because it has the soul of his daughter in it when in reality it actually has the beast soul in it and so putting out the lantern is what finally gets rid of the beast. But what I think is really interesting about that is at the very, very end, like when you get these brief little snapshots of all the characters that were met um, in in this like world um, and how they're all like living happily ever after, you see... Um, you see the woodsman's daughter, like she comes out and she finds him and you, so you wonder like, where was she all this time? Like what, what did the beast do to like entrap her somehow that then once he had been gotten rid of, like she was able to come back. Like, I think that's so interesting. Yeah, because the beast tricked the woodsman into thinking his daughter was in the lantern and that he had to keep the light on and steal other children's souls, basically, in order to keep his daughter alive. But if she wasn't in the lantern and she wasn't trapped, where was she? That's a very good question. Yeah, well, and especially since the implication um, at the end is that the beast like turns kids into into these edelwood trees and then the edelwood trees are what the woodsman has to grind up and use to keep the lantern lit and so had he not turned his daughter into a tree yet or had he turned had the beast turned the woodsman's daughter into a tree but like he just like lucked out and didn't chop down her tree yet so that like when the beast was killed like she wasn't a tree anymore like I don't know yeah no that's that's a good point. I wish there had been more seasons of this show because was it a totally a limited series or did it just get canceled after one season? No, it was a limited series. Like the the creator planned like exactly what he wanted to happen and how many episodes he wanted to have his story happen in, and like that was it. That's good though, because you know I would have liked to have some more answers, but then at the same time, if they had made more seasons, it might have not been as powerful and as uh, it might have been more kid friendly and then more like lighter and happier and you know Beatrice even says this line to Wirt like you know or to Greg like you know life is unfair you know like you know life isn't perfect or she says something super dark and I was like gosh if I heard that as a kid I would be so depressed yeah it's yeah the characters that they meet are quite something (laughs) let's talk about Beatrice though did you like Beatrice I thought she was going to be evil and she kind of was a little bit evil because she was working with the witch but then she was good in the end. Yeah, no, I loved Beatrice by the end of it. And I think it's like, it's really sweet to see her slowly actually care about these kids and start to feel guilty about um, how her whole thing is that she's just like trying to lure them to Adelaide um, and, you know, have them be Adelaide's like servants forever. Um and I think, yeah, I think it's really nice when we get to see, like, Beatrice's family and we get to find out more about her story. Um, I I loved her by the end of it. Even, well, I mean, like, I even liked her at the beginning of it. I always liked Beatrice except for that brief moment where she was working with the evil witch. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was so interesting that she was turned into a bird. She was used to be a human because uh, as a human, she threw a rock at a bluebird and then she got turned into a bluebird. Like, this is what this show is full of, like all these creative ideas and this huge development with characters. And, you know, she seems like an innocent little bird, but really she has all this backstory and she kind of has some skeletons in the closet. And I love that. Not everyone is as they seem, just like you can't judge a person, you know? 
she might be a cute little bird, but internally she has all this other stuff going on. Yeah, I totally agree. And they do that. It's funny too, because I feel like they do that with a lot of the characters in the show. Like none of the characters are who you expect them to be. And yet it still surprises you every time. The only thing I wanted to mention, um, because I think it's really cool, is in the tavern scene, uh, they, you know, the kids, uh, Wirt and Greg meet up with all of these people in the tavern, and they're like, what are you? And they're like, uh, children? And they're like, no, like, I'm the tailor, and he's the toy maker, and like, she's the baker, like, what are you? Um, and then there's this like really weird bit, which does not connect to anything else that happens in the show, where <laughs> this guy goes on the stage and he's like, um, the highway man. And he does this like really weird song with this like really creepy fluid animation, which is only used for his scene and never used again. And I looked and I know like Caitlin and I looked it up. That's my roommate. Because we were like, why yes. does this scene exist? <laughs> like, how come it is only his character? Um, and it's supposed to be... Um, a direct, uh, like, homage to the Betty Boop cartoons. Like, even the, the woman who runs the tavern, like, you can tell her face is, like, very stylized after, like, Betty Boop. Um, and so that whole, like, tavern scene, but specifically the part with the highwayman, oh, right. is a direct homage to, like, a specific episode of Betty Boop. I have this memory of you and I watching a clip from her. I have no idea why. <laughs> but I do. No, I remember that too. I don't remember why we did that either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, do you remember? There was like the, there was the Betty Boop, like Betty Boop had done like a, a um, an adaptation of like Sleeping Beauty, which was like absolute nightmare fuel. We might've watched that because we thought it was weird. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because that's the only, I've never seen um, a whole clip uh, or the whole show of Betty Boop, but I know that while Disney was always in, like, big competition with the studio that did Betty Boop over Mickey Mouse and stuff, and it was, like, this big competition yeah. because Betty Boop used to be way more of an icon than Mickey Mouse, and it's sad now that Betty Boop's become, like, like no one really knows her now. So it's really nice that they did montage to one of the first iconic cartoon characters or animated characters. Um, the next thing I was wanting to talk about was, I don't want to go back too much, but with like a Bildungsroman, and for those of you that don't know, a Bildungsroman is a genre that basically focuses on main characters in their formative years who end up going on a journey, and then by the end of their journey, they become more mature or become an adult, and I think for that, Wirt is definitely the main Bildungsroman character. Do you agree? Because he definitely matures and grows the most. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I think that Greg, like... I think that Greg, I don't want to like put Greg into a box because I love him, but I think that Greg very much like exists to be the totally pure, like innocent character because even towards the end, like he doesn't really change or go through any, I don't want to say he doesn't go through any growth, but he doesn't really change. He just sort of becomes more brave by the end of it where he goes and, like, faces the beast alone without word. Mm -hmm. But he, he's always been, like, kind and resilient and wanting to take care of his brother. Like, that's who he is throughout the whole show. Whereas, like, Wirt definitely goes through a big character growth. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and Greg, he's also a bit too young. He's not in his formative years like Wirt is. And also, I feel like Greg's great because he's a bit of a comic relief. And he's the pure, innocent, like you said, um 
pure, like, character, and, and, yeah, he is definitely the comic relief. So this isn't his journey. Um, were there any things, anything that you thought didn't work in the show? Like, were there any, like, I feel like we've only been talking the positive, because it is a very positive show, and I really liked it, but I was wondering if you had any, like, things that you thought hey, could have been done differently or been better. I mean, I'm biased because I love this show so much, and it is one of my favorite pieces of media of all time. Um, I think that there are a lot of questions surrounding certain elements of the plot, but I don't think that there are necessarily any loose ends. Like, I think the questions that you're left with are all very intentional, and you're not really supposed to understand everything. You're supposed to be left to theorize and think about stuff. Literally, the only critique I've ever made of this show is the fact that they only have one person of color in the entire show, and you can barely even tell she's a person of color because Sarah is the only non-white, or at least, like, the only, like, person of color in the show, um... And because it's Halloween, she spends the whole time in skeleton makeup, so you can, like, barely tell she's not white anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. There are no people of color in this show, and the only thing that, um, you know, it's kind of sad that back in 2014, you know, this was still, like, the normal thing. And even though this show is only six years old, how far we've come and how much farther we need to come in order to represent people of color in animated shows. But another thing that kind of, I was like, hmm, you know, besides Beatrice, the women in this show were pretty, if there were any, were pretty meek, and there weren't that many female characters, and it would have been nice to have a female character going on the adventure with them too, like a, a human being, not a bird. Yeah, no, definitely. There, there definitely, like, aren't very many women characters, and all of the women characters aside from Beatrice are, like meek victims or like old women voiced by John Cleese and Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> voiced by men. <laughs> That's a strange representation there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll move on to our last judgment now, unless there's something else you wanted to say. Oh no, I'll save it for the last judgment. I just love this show. <laughs> I could talk about it forever if you let me. <laughs> so did Over the Garden Wall move you or not? Oh yeah, it absolutely did. It moved me the first time and it still moves me on every rewatch. I always get like so happy and emotional watching it. I love it a lot. I totally agree. And this was my first viewing of it because of Christina here. And I'm really glad you told me to watch it because it was nice to watch an animated film that wasn't Disney, even though Disney's always gonna be my favorite animated movies. But it was really nice to see a change and going back to like the traditional fairy tale trope and showing how dark fairy tales used to be with the Bildungsromans. And I like that this kind of held um, that accountable in this show and then also showing such great non-stereotypical characters and having great character development and growth and just like a 10 episode show. And again, the episodes were only about 15 minutes long. So the fact that we could cover this much ground in such a short period of show, where most shows we barely cover anything in like a 22 episode, half an hour show. So, and I think that this show is a bit too spooky for children, but for people uh, in their teens or adults, it's perfect. And I think it's an underrated must-watch. Must <laughs> I wanted to ask you, since, you know, when we think about animated movies, we directly think of Disney films, but are there other, like, non-Disney animated movies or shows that 
you really like or did you like growing up? I'm so glad you asked um, because uh, the two things that immediately come to mind, first of all, (laughs) the Little Prince movie. I don't know what studio did the Little Prince movie in all honesty, but it's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, It's so, so well animated. It's so well done. The music in it is so good. Um, I, yeah, I cannot recommend the Little Prince movie enough. I think that came out in like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember when that came out. That was like 2013 or 2015 or like somewhere around there. Um, that one's really good. Just recently, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of, uh, the animation studio Pearl Jam Animation Studio at all. No. Okay. They're very cool. They're basically actually okay i don't want to say that they're brand new because maybe they're just not brand new but they've only like made really popular movies recently i'm fairly certain that they're a a pretty new animation studio um but uh not last year oh my god how old am i not last year but the year before (laughs) um they came out with uh this movie called (laughs) how uh, old am i what i ask myself every day (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, I was like, oh, man, I don't remember when this movie came out in relation to uh, what point of my life I'm in right now. Um, not last year, the year before that, I think. Um, the This movie came out called Abominable, uh, which I love. Um, and it came out, it like... It got really good reviews. Oh, yes, I've it, heard of this. Yes, it got I really good reviews. I saw the trailer. Rev- yeah, yeah, it got really good reviews, and it did pretty well in the box office, but it didn't, like, you know, make a big splash or anything, because I think it, it I think it's because it came out around the same time mm-hmm. as, like, Smallfoot and um, The Missing Link, so there were a lot of, like, Yeti, like, Abominable Snowman movies coming out at that time. Um, but I really loved the movie Abominable. I thought it was really, really good, and you may have seen this on Netflix, but... Pearl Jam Studios just this past Friday uh, released a brand new uh, Netflix original animated movie called Over the Moon, which my girlfriend just showed me yesterday for the first time, and that movie is also really good. Oh. Oh, great. That's so nice that all this content, uh, uh, animated content is out there. Yeah. Pearl Jam Studios is really good. I highly recommend I actually have a couple... Do you have any others? Because I actually have a couple that I, I'd like to talk about <laughs> animated movies that formed myself today. <laughs> the the only, the last one I will say is um, Kung Fu Panda is still the best film trilogy of all time and the best film series of all time. And I will fight anybody on that. <laughs> Star Wars has nothing on Kung Fu Panda 1, 2, 3. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, all the haters are going to come after us now. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that Kung Fu um, Panda is so well, good. <laughs> <laughs> talking about like film series and i didn't really like the the sequels but uh this was actually the first animated film i saw or actually the first movie i saw in the movie theater because i was about five at the time and that is dreamworks madagascar and i remember going to the movie theater for the first time and watching this movie and i had seen pretty much only disney movies up until that point and seeing Madagascar, that was just a really great time. And I still love it. And it brings all this nostalgia. And the voices are so good. You know, Ben Stiller, uh, David Schwimmer, Chris Rock, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith. Again, lots of diversity there. And uh, I just I just love it. And every time it's on YTV or something, I always want to watch it. And, and the great little characters, like, 
um, it's not just those three main characters or four main characters, but it's also, like, you know, Julian and his, like, gang and just seeing Madagascar, like, the whole jungle and never being anywhere at that young of an age and seeing all these colors in this animation and lions and zebras and everything. It was just, it was a lovely time. <laughs> I do love the Madagascar movies. Those are also very good. I also grew up with Land Before Time. Have you ever seen that? Oh, It's about I dinosaurs. Did. Yes, I don't think I ever revisited it, but I definitely have seen it like at least once in my life at some point. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it for many, many years. I don't even know if I've seen it since, since primary school, but it's basically about dinosaurs, obviously, when dinosaurs were still around, and a little foot is the main character, and he's, um, oh, what are they called? Are they stegosauruses, the ones with, like, the long necks? I think and so. And they eat, they're vegetarians. They don't eat other, yeah, stegosauruses. And I had this, like, kind of little dinosaur phase, along with my Thomas the Tank Engine phase, where I was, like, really into dinosaurs. And I didn't watch Jurassic Park, but, like, I just loved, you know, the characters, Ducky and Sarah and, um, you know, Always in these animated shows, like, with Littlefoot, he loses his mom and dad. Like, they're always orphans. It's so sad. I don't understand why animated films, like, you know, little... There's always an orphan main character, but that's another good one. And also, I hope to talk about this movie when it gets kind of more, like, snowy and... and well, it's probably snowing where you are right now, but when it gets more colder here. But another one of my favorite animated films that I always watch around Christmas time and I find very underrated is Rise of the Guardians. Yeah. Have you seen that one? I it's love with that Chris movie. Pine. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> yes. So Chris Pine plays Jack Frost and we meet all the magical creatures of the holidays. So we meet Santa Claus, we meet the Easter Bunny, we meet um, the uh, Tooth Fairy. I feel like I'm forgetting someone else. And then Jude Law plays like the mean dream catcher who like basically is the, um, he, he takes, he puts nightmares into children's heads. I don't know how else to explain it. He's basically the evil Sandman. Oh, there's also the Sandman. Anyway, they're just, it's a great group, great voices, Alec Baldwin, um, lots of great voices. And it's just so beautifully done. Very underrated. And I think it's on Netflix if you live in Canada. Yes, no, I totally agree. I feel like that movie's uh, severely underrated. I love that movie, and I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but, like, the, like, Jack Frost, like, background reveal gets me every time. It still, like, hits me. Yes. Oh, my God. It, I cry. I cry so yeah. much. He's such a good person for his little sister and everything, and it's so deep. It's so good. I love that movie. Did you ever get into the Ice Age franchise? Um, I did, actually. It's also I... DreamWorks. No, actually, that's Blue Sky. Oh, that's... Oh, I was wrong. Okay, never mind. I, I was wrong. Know... I thought it was the same as Madagascar. Oh, no, that is okay. I literally only know that because, like, not that long ago, like, literally last week, my roommates and I were talking about the Ice Age movies. Um, but... No, I really liked those movies. I think that they're like, you know, like they don't hold up as well as 
movies like Rise of the Guardians or like Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, but like yeah. I, I remember really liking them as a kid, and like the first movie at the very least holds up really well, I think. Yeah. I think I really liked the first two, and I think I watched the third one, but then I think I stopped watching them, but definitely the first two I really liked, and they always kind of remind me of elementary school, because sometimes the teacher would just like put that in, and, and um, but also, I also love, um, well, Sh- I mentioned Shrek, and Shrek, I love Shrek, I don't really like the third and fourth movie, and I don't really like the fourth movie, where he's kind of like having an existential crisis, and you know, he's on his wonderful life journey, I'm not a big fan of the fourth one, but the first two Shreks, the best, if you haven't seen Shrek, I don't understand. Like, are you alive? Like, I mean, please. Everyone has to see Shrek. It's been around for, like, 20 years. It's with the genius Mike Myers. Like, please. And Eddie Murphy. Like, please. If you even know what Saturday Night Live is, like, please watch my, um, Shrek. But also, I loved growing up. And I gotta say, sometimes they are my guilty pleasure thing to just watch. And that's the Barbie movies. <laughs> I... I, was... I say movies because I love them all. Oh, yeah, no. Okay, my girlfriend loves the Barbie movies. Um, and I actually did not grow up, like, watching any of the Barbie movies uh, because my mom, who I love a lot, um, mm. did not let me watch the Barbie movies as a kid because she thought that I would, like, uh, develop, like, negative body image uh, issues if I watched the Barbie movies because she read an article about, like, a bunch of little girls who were, like, starving themselves to try to look like a Barbie doll, and she thought that if I watched those movies, I would do that, so she didn't let me. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but I've, like, seen a few of them, actually, like, as a teenager, uh, because my friends and my girlfriend who grew up on the Barbie movies have been showing me, and, like, they're, like, awful, but I love them. <laughs> Yeah, no, just to say, like, the music is really fun, and I love um, the original, like, I haven't seen really many past, like, 2008, but the original one, um, where the first Barbie movie was when she's the, uh, in the Nutcracker, and I watch that every Christmas, and that's, like, my goat. I just love it. I love how she's Clara, but the other one that I loved was um, Barbie as Rapunzel, and when people talk about Rapunzel, I don't actually think of Tangled. I think of the Barbie movie Rapunzel and her little purple dinosaur. And that always brings back great memories for me. And um, Princess and the Pauper. I mean, that is great. And it's the only time I was so happy when I saw that as a kid, because every time I go to Toys R Us and for people who can't see me, which is basically everyone that's listening to this, or if you've never met me, I have brown hair. I am not blonde. So going to Toys R Us or Winners all the time when I was a kid, I was so upset that there was never a brunette Barbie. I wasn't actually thinking about like how big her boobs are or how skinny she was, because in my head, it's just like, if I'm if she has cute clothes, I'm going to dress her. But in Princess and the Popper, you know, Barbie's brunette. Like, yes. And I remember I got the costume for the popper in the princess and the popper for halloween and i was so happy because you know she's brunette she has brown hair so that's my little rest that's really cute (laughs) that's so cute (laughs) i hope children and i actually got the toys r us catalog in the mail um for like junk mail and there's so many um more uh represented barbies than there were when we were growing up and I know when, like, my parents were kids, you know, Barbies, like, when my mom had Barbies as a kid, you know, there was, like, Skipper and all these other characters, and they had, like, brunette hair, or they they weren't all blonde, 
And then I feel like when we were a kid, all of them were just blonde. And now, mm-hmm. you know, there's like Barbie in a wheelchair and, you know, a Barbie with uh, um, p- people of color Barbies. And like, it's really nice to see that um, because I wish I had, they had that when I was growing up. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I always like though, like, um, and I totally agree with your mom about why she didn't want to show it, but... What I always liked when I was growing up with Barbies is that they always said you can be anything and you can strive to be, you know, a teacher, you can be a dentist, you can be a vet, you can be a doctor. And I always liked that as a kid. And I didn't, I mean, this is just me personally, and maybe other people, girls do have experiences of playing with Barbies and having these like unnecessary and like insane expectations on themselves to look this certain way but I didn't I just was happy about dressing the Barbie and I liked that she was able to be whatever she wanted to be and I hope kids that play with Barbies nowadays are able to see that point and not see like the whole appearance of Barbie I don't know what Hannah thought of when she played with Barbies but it might have been similar to me (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, I think in retrospect, like, I completely understand why my mom, like, didn't like Barbies, and I totally respect it, but I think in retrospect, like, as problematic as it was to have Barbie be just, like, a skinny blonde lady, she was also, like, a skinny blonde lady who was, like, a badass and did everything and was, like, a very good, like, career role model at the very least to little girls, so... And, like, Barbie nowadays is awesome. Um, We watched this one together in theaters, I think, um the peanuts movie that came out in like the uh like early 2010s that movie is so good like I love all the like obviously we both love all of the hand-drawn like original peanuts um like holiday specials um but that like that movie was really good oh my god two things on this first of all I can't believe that movie came out five years ago I just looked it up it came out in 2015 that was five years ago second of all did you hear that Charlie Brown specials, like the Halloween special and the Christmas special, which I always watched on TV every year. I think I have the um, Christmas uh, version on DVD. I own it. But did you hear that Apple TV, because uh, Apple TV Plus, um, it made a Snoopy movie. And I don't have Apple TV Plus. Do you have Apple TV Plus? I do not, but I did hear about that. So apparently they've taken up they've bought up all the rights to Charlie Brown and Charlie Brown will never be on network television again. So we won't have the Christmas special on like no. CBC anymore. Yes. It this makes me so sad. It's a crime because like, I know, I know people are already just kind of like not buying cable anymore and sticking to, you know, just streaming services. But at the same time, you know, it's such a classic and it just, it's always on every Christmas. I always watch Charlie Brown with my my mom and it's it's really sad that these streaming services have taken over but at the same time they're giving us so much great content thank you so much for listening and I hope we checked off all our favorite non all your favorite non animated Disney films and I hope you liked our critique and our just talking about over the garden wall because it's a really good show and we want more people to watch it and Check out these like non-Disney films because there's a lot of great gems out there. And Christina, I want to thank you for being on the show. And I'm glad that we could do this show as our first TV show and the first animated um, 
um, animated show we talk about. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm also just like, as your friend, I am so glad that you've watched Over the Garden Wall now. Thank you for listening.